Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I've got my lovely co-host here, Matt Offenbacher. How are you doing this morning? It's great to be lovely. What can I say? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Matt, something I thought would be interesting, and you know, we oftentimes get so many different situations thrown at us, you know, whether it be on the rig with different systems or, you know, dealing with certain things with clients, but kind of putting together an episode based off an experience that we've recently had. And so I thought it'd be good to kind of share a little bit. I wouldn't say call it a case study, but I guess it could be, I don't know. I don't know what to call it in the podcast world, but just sharing experiences for the audience to learn, you know, from our experience. And so, you know, in West Texas, in the Permian, you know, we oftentimes drill through formations that have H2S. And I know we specifically talked about H2S and what it is and, you know, from a chemistry perspective, but I thought it'd be good to kind of go over some precautions and and treatment applications without getting into the details of what happened, but just some things to really think about operationally. And if you're on a rig experiencing this, hopefully you can reference the podcast to say, ah, they did talk about this. Maybe we should consider doing that. Something to that effect. What do you think? I think so. You know, and I think it's interesting because we talk about H2S, we get some basic training, but when it actually happens, what do you do with the tools on hand? And is it possible to even overreact one way or another with certain things that you do need to do? Yeah, no. And because a lot of times in somewhat of panic mode, because, you know, obviously acid gas can get everyone jumping a little bit. It's not always, you know, more is better is oftentimes kind of the mindset, like, well, add more of this or increase this property. And so really just understanding sort of the limitations and things with regards to certain properties. But with that said, let's quickly, Matt, if you could do a high level describing what H2S is, and then we'll move on. Sure. So hydrogen sulfide gas or H2S, look, I mean, you know, the first thing, obviously we can't, you know, talk without saying, yeah, it's a poisonous, deadly gas. It's flammable. It's corrosive. It can kill you in high concentrations, maybe even not necessarily such high concentrations. You know, it can come from a lot of different places, whether it be from the formation, the degradation, you know, bacteria can produce it called sulfite reducing bacteria. Sometimes even products breaking down can release a little bit of H2S. I mean, so under high temperatures that can happen. So there's a number of ways to encounter it. I would say probably the, you know, the thing that's getting us in, in West Texas, and you hear this quite a lot, is all these SWD wells, we're introducing a lot of bacteria, you know, by reinjecting formation water. And a lot of people say it's continuing to get worse. And so it's something that we're we're seeing, you know, not only maybe more frequently, but we're also seeing in larger concentrations. And so you know, kind of more of the things you got to say before you talk about everything else. You know, like we said, this stuff can kill you. It can block oxygen from attaching to red blood cells. It can create sulfuric acid in your lungs, causing bleeding. I can't emphasize enough how deadly this stuff is. Right. And so rightfully so, when you're on a rig and the alarms go off, it is all hands on deck. Like that is that is the, the biggest concern at that moment is to, you know, how do we treat it and how do we make sure it doesn't, you know, come in contact or ultimately affect, you know, workers on the rig. And so Matt, real quick, there's, there's indicators on a rig when you're, when you're drilling, 
You know, we've got things like electronic detectors, whether that's on your personal, you know, wearing one while you're on the rig site, we've got detectors on the rig. And, and so there's certainly a lot of engineering devices deployed with on, you know, on the rig side to make sure that we know when this stuff is coming at us. Matt, from a drilling fluid perspective, what are some of the indicators, you know, or what are some of the effects of H2S on the drilling fluid side of things? You know, it can kind of, I don't know, immediately you should see since it's an acid gas, you probably see the, the pH drop. You might see your viscosity and fluid loss go up. If it's getting nasty, you might even see black drill pipe and, and the drilling fluid will start to look dark. So you can actually see, you know, hydrogen corrosion can be quite nasty and cause significant brittlement of the steel. Right. And, you know, you, you hear about the rotten egg smell, right? Like we talk about sour gas. So that's there, but the argument is in very high concentrations, H2S will actually basically neutralize the nerves you have in your nose. So at higher concentrations, you may never smell it and it could be lethal at that concentration which goes back to your detectors and that sort of thing. That's why they're very important. Yeah. And I think the first line of defense, I don't say defense, but the first line to, to identify any bit of it is, is when your pH starts to fluctuate. So again, that's one thing that, you know, is very important to consider when you're, you know, when the Derek hand or my engineer is constantly checking pH, make sure your pH meter is calibrated, or if you've got the strips and you're severely colorblind, maybe have someone else give it another, you know, look just to be sure. But Anyway, certainly some ways to be able to detect it before it gets out of control. Matt, so, you know, drilling away, all of a sudden H2S comes, you know, not in a lethal dose, but hey, guys, look, it's, we're, we're starting to see some stuff and, you know, we need to consider, you know, adjusting our properties, maybe adding things. So let's talk about the treatment. When this stuff first comes around, hopefully you've got some H2S scavenger in there. I mean, that's pretty as standard operating procedure, you know, your whichever chemicals you're adding is typically in West Texas when you're drilling on water-based mud or really anywhere is, is, is if you got your, you know, corrosion inhibitor, H2S scavenger, but Matt, you know, assuming you're already, you're already doing sort of the pre-treatment measures, what are some of the things that we, you know, immediately do or, or kind of look at when we start seeing H2S come to come around? So, you know, obviously you hear it all the time, all right, get the pH up. And there's, there's a really good reason for that, but understand that the pH is a temporary solution to what could be a longer lasting problem. So think about pH, you know, a little, little bit of basics here, but you have these different soluble species, if you will. So think about H2O. H2O is neutral. pH is seven, right? Well, if I gain more hydroxyl ions, H plus, I go to the left and, and pH is a logarithmic scale. That's another thing to keep in mind. So if I keep gaining H's, I'm more acidic. If I'm more basic, I have hydroxyls or OH minus. So if I keep adding OH minus to H2S, I keep going, I keep going. And at above 10.5-ish, let's say 11, the soluble species, you go from H2S to HS minus to S2 minus, you basically run out of H2S. You don't have any H2S at that point because you're in that HS minus, S2 minus, as far as soluble species, when you give it that many hydroxyl ions, which is why people say, throw in some caustic, throw in some lime because what are caustic soda? Sodium hydroxide, hydroxide, OH, right? Yeah. Lime, calcium hydroxide. So I'm giving it those hydroxide species and keep shifting my pH over to, you know, to the right. And so once you're at about 11, there's really no more like molar fractions of, of H2S. And so that's why that number is, you know, fairly common, fairly popular. 
So Matt, for the listeners out there who are a little more on the visual learning side, I mean, there's a pretty nice graph that you've thrown into certain presentations. What would people Google or what can they search to find the graph? Because I think that really shows, and then if you're on a rig, you can print it out, provide it to a company man, or just for, you know, post it on the wall in your, in your mud shack. Yeah. So it's, you can just Google soluble species, hydrogen sulfide. Perfect. And it will, if something like that should tell you they're, they're everywhere. I'm like, pretty leery about copyright stuff. So I actually went in and one you see is when I actually calculated by hand, okay. but it's actually, it's pretty straightforward. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But if you want my pretty one, I'm very proud of it. Cause I, <laughs> you know, it Matt loves out. distributing anything he's done. Yeah. Make it about me. <laughs> so you mentioned lime and, and caustic and then there's always this kind of debate back and forth on when do you use which one and which one has its limitations. But with regards to increasing your pH, for H2S mitigation, either one will work. Is that right? Hey, Justin. Hey, Matt. What's so important that we need to break into a pristine flow line episode to tell our listeners? Well, we need to tell them what we're so excited about. Of course, the 101st episode spectacular. That's right, Matt. We're just a few episodes away from a big milestone and we really want to celebrate because you know we love to celebrate. So how are we going to do it this time? Well, from now until episode 101... We want to hear from our listeners. We've got a great new website. And if you go to the full line page, you can see not only all of our episodes, but you can enter for a giveaway. Ah, the old stress balls again, isn't it? No, Justin, we've actually got some pretty nice things. Think <laughs> about maybe a smoker where you could keep the rig crew happy. Things like that. We'll select about three winners for the giveaway. That's actually a great prize. And I've heard a lot. I mean, you go to a rig and there's a lot of folks out there trying to cook. And I say trying. They are cooking because most of those rig hands and especially mud engineers know how to cook. So something like that would be phenomenal. So all you have to do is go to the AESfluids.com website and click on the flow line button. There you can see all of our great episodes along with our contact form. Click join the giveaway, provide a message telling us how great we are, and you're entered. As you know, Justin, I'm pretty big on free stuff. So I think there will be a few people who will be trying to enter this. Well, I know you like free stuff. Every time we try and go for lunch, you tag on with the salesman. So uh, if anyone's like Matt and likes free stuff, now's your chance to get some stuff. So we're excited to celebrate with all the listeners and hopefully everyone listens to the 101st episode. We hope to see you there. And if you have, we'll see if you won. All right. Back to the episode. To a point. I mean, and this is where you have to think about the mud system as a whole. I mean, one of the things that you want to keep in mind is that so caustic Caustic, the pH will just keep going up and up and up. Lime will actually what's called buffer. So it will get you, you know, to a pH of, you know, over 11. And then I think I'm trying to remember exactly what pH it buffers out, which basically means that it stops raising the pH and just kind of remains available. And so a lot of very serious, challenging H2S laden environments, you're probably more partial to lime. But caustic, the problem is you could run the pH up to 14 if you wanted to. And we don't want to do that. And what you typically see is caustic will do sort of the cyclical thing where you add enough and then some of it gets consumed. And so you're always kind of fighting this up and down battle to, keep, to maintain your pH. So in very, very challenging situations, I would say lime. Generally speaking, I would start with caustic because it reacts much faster and kind of you know, gets the whole thing moving. And if you can practically maintain it, it's, it's fine. Right. So one thing, you know, looking or when we talk about lime and stuff like that, so like you said, we've got the caustic, which is the sodium hydroxide and we've got lime, which is a calcium hydroxide, but, you know, going back to the old mud school days, 
one might say, well, if you're key, if you're adding lime, you're adding calcium. Well, aren't there other chemicals in the mud that may not like calcium? So, you know, that, and, and that kind of goes back to the case that, you know, we experience. And, and so can you talk a little bit about when you're adding, you know, say a bunch of lime to try and get your pH up, why we need to consider other properties such as calcium, you know, which is hardness and how that might impact other things going on in the system. Yeah, I mean, it can certainly affect, you know, your xanthan gum, for example, as will high pH. And the other thing about lime is lime solubilizes slowly, right? So I could heave in a bunch of lime in a panic and then my pH could go up to, you know, 12 and a half or whatever. And then I break down my xanthan gum and I can't suspend my zinc carbonate H2S scavenger. So you have to keep about like the mud system as a whole. Once again, you have to think about what am I adding to scavenge H2S? How are these other things affected? And caustic is, you know, kind of a a similar story. If, If you run your pH up too high, you know, you can create issues with the mud system and products. They're, you know, certainly, certainly the polymers don't like it. They're not going to like anything, you know, they don't like 11 very much, but it's doable, right? You know, you might have to add a little more product at that time to just maintain your, your other properties. But if you start pushing 12, 13, you know, not only is it the calcium, that higher pH will start degrading a lot of those products as well. It can mess with lubricants. It can mess with some shale inhibitors. In fact, some of the amine shale inhibitors were at least ammonia at that high pH. I mean, I've had to have conversations with customers telling them, do not drill out, do not drill out all of these abandoned cement plugs that may be green with a high performance water-based mud because you will release a ton of ammonia. Yeah. Wow. Well, and the one thing I guess I should have mentioned right off the bat is if you start seeing any type of influx of gas, whether that's H2S, CO2, you know, in water, oil, whatever is obviously get the well under control. So, yes, but that's not always, you know, if you can stop the flowing (laughs) gas, the other thing I need to add is, well, calcium can wreak havoc on things at very high pH. Calcium isn't soluble, right? So it goes back to that winding back and forth in the same way that, you know, I guess I did want to catch myself there because someone should totally well, actually be on that. Yeah. (laughs) Just by way of, in the same way you can run a high pH and calcium's insoluble. It's more the fight, right? It's more if your pH is kind of undulating a little bit because you're fighting an acid gas, you don't have it under control. So first thing, get the well under control, obviously. And then once you have a stable scenario, you know, yes, where we keep talking about, you know, elevating the pH, but it is reversible, right? You do not want to say, ah, I just have a high pH. Now I can drill ahead. Raising the pH buys you time to get you a more secure situation for something that's safer, which is scavenging. All right. Well, let's, let's roll into scavengers then, Matt. High level, what are they? And, you know, yeah, what are they first and foremost? So they'll bind with a hydrogen sulfide and they can prevent or eliminate the reformation of H2S under typical conditions. Not to say that, I mean, some of them are entirely reversible if you expose them to acid or other things, but you get your pH up, you don't have any, you know, these soluble species. Should anything happen, these things will actually bind to it chemically in a way that the H2S is not available. And there's a number of different options available. There's wins and losses with all of them, but you have a ton of options. They're widely available. And so certainly keep that in mind. Okay. So we've got the scavengers, you know, we're, we're drilling along, got our pH up, we got our scavenger up, you know, hopefully, you know, trying to control the flow. 
you know, Matt, so then at that point, you know, is it about monitoring? And, and if so, then, you know, do we then readjust treatments or, or you know, once we've kind of controlled the situation for lack of better terms, what can we do to make sure that, it, you know, it doesn't get worse or what, what, what are we really keying in on as we move forward? So I think, I mean, some of the things you don't want to forget, for example, to me, I think a lot about those scavengers and how am I maintaining enough? Because the idea is that if you're tying it up, you might not necessarily know how much you're bringing in, right? And you always want to carry an excess. And so, you know, in, in serious situations, we want a quantitative measure. So, you know, it could be a Garrett gas train, which the thing that drives me nuts about those is there's a lot of leaky parts and you run them just often enough to know what they are and not be terrified to run one, but not often enough that it's like secondhand to pull it out and run it you know? Right. And it's one of those, you have to think about, if you're going to bring it out, you have to think about these things in defense. Do I have the proper dragger tubes? Those things expire. Most of the time, the time between using it, they expire before you actually get to use them. Right. So once you feel like you're stabilized, I would say just out of an abundance of caution, I would still just keep my pH up and, and keep adding my inhibitors, but you have to figure out what your background concentration is. And I guess that's sort of a tricky thing, but I would maintain, we know having some of these scavengers at too high, too consistently, for example, zinc carbonate can cause some flocculation if it's up too high and you keep your pH up too high as well. There's ways to manage that. But triazine is probably kind of our, our favorite go-to in West Texas, at least. There's a number of different flavors and you know our sister company, JKM Catalyst, helps us out a lot with that. But Think about what else is going on at the rig. Did you wait up a little bit? So you're probably not taking any more gas. Are the detectors showing that you're not taking anything more? And, you know, did you have some losses? Do you have some other things with that? Are you building new volume? Are you accounting for that new volume that you're building? Does it have enough scavenger in it? Those are all things you can do to kind of balance the way through. But this is also a critical point where you have a conversation with the operator and say, all right, what's our way forward? But the thing I think that we run into most of the time and more recently is, we're taking H2S seriously as we should. And we say, look, you know, if, if a pH of 11 is okay, 13 is better, like you've said earlier. And there's a lot of other things that can happen beyond just mud problems. You can start having some of the like valve seats and other things don't like pH that high. I think we, we talked about that in the episode on silicates, how frustrating it is on a rig to have to change all that stuff out when you're going to run such a high pH system. And so really... 11, 11, 11.5, that gets you in a, I don't know if you call it a safe zone, but it's a zone that you would say is consistent across the industry as a comfortable space to buy you some time to get your inhibitors, your scavengers in to kind of regroup on how you're going to treat and move forward. And when everything's under control and the detectors are showing, you know, the right numbers, I have a conversation with the operator and there's a good chance they're probably going to want to see the interval through with that continued strategy as long as you can maintain what you can maintain and, you know, make sure everybody's on the same page from there and be ready if it comes back or or you see, you know, take another shot of it. Right. No, that's exactly. And, you know, again, it's can't stress enough the safety measures that need to be taken to make sure that everyone on the rig is safe. But fortunately we've got, you know, different approaches to mitigate the risk. And if you have questions, you know, talk to your engineering manager, your technical support team, but, 
you know, certainly educate yourselves as much as possible. Obviously we're trying to provide that, you know, the flow line is a resource, but the more you know about acid gases and, you know, how to attack the safer it is for everyone out on the rig. And hopefully you can educate the, you know, the peers that you're working around. And with that, Matt, I don't have any other questions, any closing last words before we let everyone go. I think the only thing I would add is, you know, keep in mind, we talked a lot about water-based mud. The reason we like to drill with water-based mud when we know we're going to encounter H2S or, or we expect we might is H2S is, is soluble in base oil. So it kind of suddenly runs up on you. There's the attraction that, you know, it can help with corrosion and other things, but a lot of the scenarios you're going to see are predominantly going to be in water-based mud. And just understand, it's not to say you can't drill it with oil-based mud, but a lot of, if you know, you're going to drill into a large concentration, water-based mud is probably the safer way to go. Perfect. Well, with that said, everybody, we really appreciate you listening. And, you know, we definitely, if you could leave a review, don't necessarily have to write one. We'd love that. But even just hitting the five or whatever stars you think we deserve would be great. You can hit us up on LinkedIn if you have any questions or just want to engage with us. Also, I encourage everyone to go on the website, aesfluids.com. Adelaide Nordier, Matt, and the rest of our team, IT, everyone has been putting in a ton of work into the website, making sure it's a little bit more user-friendly or just easier to navigate. We also have another page being added to where you can actually input some information and it provides, you know, to where you can ask questions and further get your word or questions or thoughts to us. And Matt, actually, why don't you go ahead and explain what that page is? Because obviously I don't know what it is other than you put in some information and it sends us a notification. (laughs) Well, basically, I mean, we cleaned it up, right? So we tell you to email us and every once in a while we get one, but now you can just go to the page and fill out a form and say, I want to hear an episode on this, or could you guys talk more about this? And so it just, we think it's an easier way, one, to find old episodes because I mean, we're, we're coming up on a hundred episodes, guys. We've, we've got a lot of content. So if you want to go back and reference one, it should be an easy way to navigate. And then on top of that, to make this better, we want to encourage you to participate. And we think this is an improved avenue to do it. No, I couldn't have said it any better, obviously. And the more people that engage and provide insight and and engage with us more is just always better for the community, more experiences, more lessons, more information being shared. So again, we encourage you to hit up the website. And if you have any thoughts on it, let us know. With that being said, everyone, have a great day. Be safe. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.